Hello, Internet. It's me, Business Cat, once again. It's your best friend. How you doing? We missed you. Welcome back to Rock, Paper, Bitcoin. Me and Fundamentalist, we had a lovely conversation. It's a little bit dated at this point. We recorded it on the 11th. That's on November 11th. 11-11. We talked about how the Waldorf's walls weren't high enough for the goddamn communists. We, we're talking about the book Stolen Focus. Marxism in Disguise. Signed off on by Hillary Clinton. If you like our content and would like to support the show, listen using any podcasting 2.0 enabled app and stream us out while you listen. Or leave us a comment. Either way, it's up to you. Those of you with hash power in your basement, you can slice off just a little bit of it and point it our direction using any Lincoln Stratum address. I'll put our, uh, our show's connection details in the show notes. And finally, my, my dear, dear listener, thank you for listening. It means so much to us that we're not shouting into the void. And you're, in fact, hearing our synaptic transmissions through the medium of air, vibrating the molecules, hitting your earlobes, those little tiny hairs in there, transmitting across the synapses into your brainstem. And there's little uh, sparks going off between your neurons as I say this. Welcome back. Let's get into it. You're going to have to monitor your, uh, you know, thank God we never had the issue that you had on high hash rate. Thank God. Yeah, that's kind of embarrassing, but it's like, oh, it's, it's Xfinity's fault. Um, hey, welcome, everybody. Which episode number is this now? This is 25? episode 25. Wow, it's pretty sweet. It's we sweet are recording number. on 11-11. It's November 11th. Perfect square. I love perfect squares. And... Uh, you know, 25 is awesome. So, yeah, it looks like we... <laughs> just go right off the list. Something that wasn't on our list. That Let's just hit the fact that um, the high hash rate episode looks like it's not going to... Um, like, we have had one... We've had one or two casualties of rock, paper, Bitcoin that couldn't... Just was unairable. Yeah, technical issues here and there. But it, yeah, we had a technical issue on my side. My uh, Apparently, my computer did not upload the file to the central repository on Riverside. So whenever he was recompi- recombining it, there's just big chat, like big gaps where the, I, my voice was supposed to be, but apparently isn't. So there's already... <laughs> are, are we already running into issues? Let me turn my video yeah, off. Yeah, we're already running into issues, and I was going to say it. that um, there's already a conspiracy theory. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm going to lead this off at the front. You know, so... It's already a conspiracy theory. Um, so for those of you guys, you're never going to get to hear it. Maybe maybe one or two of you will reach some Patreon-level like special access where we'll, sh- we'll you know, if you're wherever hanging out at a meetup, we'll play some of this... Um, Old archival un- content. Unaired stuff. But like um, I will say that uh, Fundamentals definitely was feeling himself. <laughs> and... Um, the conspiracy theory is that um, I f- flew so close to the um, to the risk <laughs> to the risk limit that we were getting um, into some interesting topics there, but yeah, the t- towards the I, end, it's <laughs> that the conspiracy theory is that you know just it's either that you guys were uncomfortable publishing it because what I was saying was so fucked up <laughs> and 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 contra- or that um, you were protecting... The other conspiracy theory is that you guys are protecting me from the mob and getting canceled. And the 
where I land on it is I think actually it was God. I think God torched your your audio to accomplish both of those goals. <laughs> God has been fucking up my internet for the past uh, a year at this point. It's like, all right, I'm ready to be to be. Um, <laughs> if, if this is my like. This is my Job moment where God is testing me. It's like, okay, well, you, you can dump my podcast content. It's like, I'm going to keep recording, but it's like, yeah, that that sucks. It, it was an interesting, like, for people, the, the more vague we are about it, the more mysterious and uh, interesting I think the audience will find it. So we'll just, we can just be yeah. super vague about it and be like, oh, yeah, we got into some dark, dark conversations. It was good. Do you guys know, um, so have you ever heard of Opie and Anthony? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, right. So they used to do this thing where they would take, like, a speech by Obama and they would just they would bleep out select words and right just to show how horrible it could make the whole thing sound selective censorship makes can make it, things it, appear way worse yeah it yeah. was brilliant 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 like bit that they did right so yeah that is a bit of what we're doing so I'm gonna add a little color so that it's not a total tease for everybody if you guys remember me telling my story of bombing which the reason I told that story... Bombing on stage. Bombing on stage and the story about my aunt. <laughs> and like, so guys, go back and find that if you haven't heard it. It was awful and embarrassing. And it was a lesson to me in, um, you know, doing comedy on the edge of... That's really on the edge of what society accepts when I'm not prepared to do so. Like when I haven't really fleshed it out and all that stuff. It really went badly. Um, that's how I felt it was going to go when I started in... <laughs> on this thing on uh, when we were on high hash rate but i said screw it let's just go for it and I, th- I actually think it was funny i can tell you guys i'll never forget the look on mike's face as i was doing this it was like one of the most satisfying things i'll ever remember in my life seeing him like trying to prevent his wheezing from getting into his mic because he was laughing so hard yes he um, was <laughs> so i i won't forget it um, and so maybe one, maybe one of these days, if you guys are hanging out with us at a central PA meetup behind closed doors of the Simpson Library in Mechanicsburg, shout out next week, um, you know, maybe we'll unearth. We won't unearth that because that's not ours, but we'll unearth some of our, some of our stuff maybe. Well, I mean, I, I feel like if people follow you on X, they probably... Yeah, they've been aware of, of like, yeah, where your, where your mind goes. So it's, not, it's not like super mysterious content. It's true. So since we're talking about, um, so now we're talking about, so shout out high hash rate. God, I can't, it's hard to express how much. Hell yes. We, we, we love those guys, right? They are badasses. Um, and then just to see a, a vehicle for us to just connect in that, it's such a magical way that God had to intervene. <laughs> right? Well, hey, I mean, if that's, if that's God's will, that's God's will. I mean, God reached out and nuked my browser's cache and all, dumped all that audio. The next time we get together, like, God's going to be like, ah, just let him burn. Let's hear it. <laughs> We're definitely, re- yeah, so this does not mean, we are going only to save record again. Once. Can yeah. only save these guys one time. Right. So we will definitely do it again. And um, so the next thing I want to shout out, just as a recurring thing that we seem to talk about here, is um, the Thursday Zoom. Yes. And um, it's basically been my shout out and has nothing to do with, business cat other than the fact that he's been an innocent bystander of this source of signal i just i have busy thursday nights so yeah i haven't i haven't uh, joined in yet here's here's the interesting thing about life and you know from a 
praxeological perspective, right? Markets emerge, and things that were once st- that we once thought was static, they emerge over time through human action. Yeah. Now, so these are really good group. These are a really good group of people. I'm, you know, I sensed it the first time I hung out with them, right? Led by Paul, who's the man. And um, the weird thing was, the second I started talking about it on the podcast, their lives would change forever, <laughs> right? So, like, they, their little group that of, like, three of them that talked about the same stuff was not going to continue. Like, the we were, com- like, we just came. Yeah. And it was nearing uh, its market saturation point. Yeah. And so we had a, we've had a variety of people go to their go on the Zoom, and we've been through this process. You guys have heard me talk about it before. We, you know, we went through some growing pains where they kind of wanted to still talk about shit coins and their old stuff, and that ran into an issue with us. But the reality is, this is I was telling these guys last Thursday, like I'm just a guest, and we're all just guests. This is your stage, and you know what? I've evolved. A little bit to, I, I'm I'm so open to whatever those guys want to honestly want to talk about because it's very it's still high signal, yeah, and um, so we've had a funny, we've had a couple of guys come and be regulars, and then we've had a couple of guys come and kind of you know, um, so our boy shout out shout out Lonely Pumpkins first of all, okay, right, like OG listener and good friend and co-admin of the Central Pennsylvania Bitcoiners meetup group. Yes. And as I was thinking, I was really thinking of the way to say this as you uh, put that fill in. Like, sort of really a masterful Bitcoin educator is how I I like to refer to him. Yeah. Um, But do you got, so do you remember, remember, you're familiar with the movie Goodfellas? I assume you are. I I certainly am, yeah. Yeah. So do you know, you know, we are very familiar with the meme of uh, Henry laughing his ass off, right? We love that meme. Mm-hmm. But do you know, you remember what he, the scene right before that scene where he comes home after a long night and his his wife starts immediately yelling at him and he immediately just like, he, he doesn't even close the front door. He just turns around. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and then like Joe Pesci is like, "What kind of people are these, Henry?" You know, because like she's so like she's already like um, distraught that he's been out for so long and she didn't know where he was and her parents were over. He comes in, she starts she starts giving him shit, and she he just doesn't even listen to a half of a syllable and just immediately turns around. That's basically how I would describe Lonely Pumpkins' disposition towards the Thursday meetup. <laughs> He came on and it was it was like the first thing he heard was some shitcoin thing and just like immediately turned around just like fuck this you know pretty right and you know and like shout out right lonely pumpkins is the man and you know I travel long distances to consume his signal and will continue to do so and it is his god given right to hear that and just walk away. What kind of shitcoin content is going on in these me- like so I mean I guess I should no, put, you know put the asterisk so out there like. Like we'll it's, talk about it, shitcoin sometimes. Like I think this uh, the recent shitcoin news of the uh, ETF is worthy of talking about. But so, I mean, well, hold on, hold on. So I don't like again. Um, you know, maybe it's this. This is like slight exaggeration for to make it an interesting analogy. Okay. Right. What I want to say is that there have been other. There have now been other listeners 
Okay, so I want to shout out Boomer, um, who was also the reason I know him is because he was a guest on a high hash rate. Love and Boomer, dude. So he's come on. You know, he's come on from Canada to join this Thursday Zoom, and has just been like an incredible, just like an incredible asset. This dude's an asset to any conversation he joins. And I'm going to shout out to another guy. I don't want to say his name just because and he doesn't have a name online, but I met him at Bitcoin John and immediately recognized this guy as an asset to any conversation. And just was like, dude, you got to you got to come. He's, um, you know, I want him to come to my meetup and then I want him to come to Bitcoin John. Like this is just, you know, just, just meet somebody for five minutes and be like, dude, can you join every conversation? I'm a it's, it's incredible the kind of minds that Bitcoin is pulling into it. The people you run into at Bitcoin events are, sho- yeah, yeah, it's shockingly high signal people. So if he's listening uh, from the Lehigh Valley, I want to just you know give that dude a shout out. And um, so we've had we've had so while we've had we've had some greats turn away, mm-hmm. okay, and that's totally fine and normal and understandable. We've had some other greats come in and really add to this thing. So now there's a really good balance. Um, and, you know, it's maybe part of the growing pains now is having like seven or eight people on the Zoom and trying to figure out how to make that functional because it's it's actually difficult. We're trying to sort through that now, right? Yeah. Once you have, I mean, I think we kind of ran into that going, jump back to the high hash rate. We kind of were running into that there, like having four people and figuring out the coordination of voices. But I mean, like, so for certainly like a Zoom call that you're used to having a small group of people on, all of a sudden you're doubling your number in the audience. Right. That's going to add a major wrinkle to the normal flow of conversation. But they want, they want you, they want you to come on. And I told them. You know what, like, if you guys are boosting <laughs> Rock, Paper, Bitcoin, and if you guys are making clips, and you guys are actually paying attention, I think Business Cat would come thir- on. Thursdays at 7? Is that what it is? Thursdays at 7, but it's not a hard 7. You can kind of hop on whenever you want. And, you know, again, even though I've talked about some of the foibles, right, of this group, I think you guys know, like... I, I want the OGs there to know that I ch- actually cherish them and respect what they built. And if... If we're ever trying, coming close to ruining it, we will walk away, and give them their space back. Yeah, but I do. I feel like it's. I feel like the Genesis block has come out with rock, paper, Bitcoin, and we're all just gonna have to figure it out now, just like we have to with Bitcoin. I'm, I'm looking at my calendar here on my phone, and I'll just put it. I, I, I'll join. I 100%. I will be in. I'll, I'm gonna jump in one of those calls at some point. I will. We'll chat off off air about when I can do it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I'll be in there. Well, I'll give you. I'll give you a heads up. Awesome. Hell yeah. So you guys. So hopefully you guys hear that. You guys. You know. We got a, you got a couple weeks notice because I mean this episode we're recording on the 11th but it's I don't think it's going to be released until the 16th and then the Thursday after that is Thanksgiving so I don't imagine there's going to be a call there so I, I imagine November 30th is probably going to be the earliest I can jump on the call that you guys are going to know that Sweet. I'm coming. Sweet. I'll put it on my you know I'm just going to put it on my calendar now. I'm just going to block it off. We will make our preparations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zoom call Se- 7 to 8. Got it. All right, hell yeah, yeah. So, do you do you listen back? Like, I know you do all this. You know, you do all the editing. You are like really. You are the guy that makes this podcast happen. Everyone, all the listeners should know. Like, I'm kind of. I just kind of come on and talk. <laughs> Business cat does all the work. I mean, it, don't don't sell yourself short. You, I mean, the content is a big, big, big part of a, a podcast. So, right. I mean, yeah, I do all the editing, but but I, mean, I know you're doing the editing. Of what I 
well, we, you and I have never talked about like what what is your routine like. I I listen to the, the second you drop it, I can't wait to listen to it, and then sometimes I listen to it consecutively like twice. Do you actually listen to it back and fo- back to front? Um, yes, but I, I I listen to it at an increased speed. So, do you want me to just walk through my editing flow or like on a week to week basis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we record on Saturdays. Typically, I like we record a Saturday before the Thursday release. So we record on Saturdays, and then I give myself a couple days to be away from it, so that it's somewhat fresh content in my brain when I when I edit. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have a recurring um, item on my to do list every Tuesday to remember to start editing today. So yeah, Tuesday mornings is like I like throughout the day I will start the process of uh, imp- or exporting the audio from where we record and import editing. It into Logic, where I do all my editing, and then yeah, I will listen to it at about thirty percent increased speed to get all of the time codes for where the conversations change, and then after I get all that, then I can then I know what the content is. I can record the intro. I will probably after I um, finish my initial read or, like listen through of it, I'll step away from it for a couple hours and like listen to music and see if I get inspired by anything. If I don't have anything in, in my brain ahead of time, this past Got episode. It. With uh, with the awful majestic stuff, like that was in my head ahead of time, so I, I knew that that was easier. But normal, that, like, that was cool, by the way. And you know, my personal feeling, you know, sometimes I love what you do, sometimes maybe not so much. But my, I go by the consensus mechanism of the people who listen. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. if they like it, then it's like that's all, that's all that I care about, honestly. Right? This one was uh, it was strange. I I didn't. As 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 the talker, I didn't love like having the final stuff go be go over music, but people liked it. So yeah. I would say I would say hell, keep going, keep doing you. you well, know, I, nor- I normally you. wouldn't like do the audio over. I normally try to just get the song, just like our audio ends and then the outro music starts. It but worked just, though. Yeah, it, it, that song it, just happened to work out well. There's like okay, well I can just kind of slowly level this up as we're talking, and then boom, the intro right when we're done. Yeah, it was. I was like, "Oh, what is happening here?" But then, like the way it ended and the way it really kicked in <laughs> on the final downbeat was pretty. It was pretty cool, dude. So I'd say keep doing you definitely on that. And people, like, there were a lot of, con- you know, I have to say, dude, one of the things I'm I'm really proud of when about this about our podcast. I'm gonna get into what I'm actually why I'm why I led all this in with. Mm. But like one of the things I'm really proud, like we get like real boosts and communication from people. I love it. I love seeing it. Um, you know, even if they're a hundred sats, right? Shout out Piaz, man. Like, yeah, he's I, always I, there every, dude, every time. Like I read every one of his boosts to every podcast. He boosts. Like I, I actually, you know, like I, he's somebody like I follow on fountain so that I can, I actually see everything he's saying. I can't, every, he listens to so much stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, like it's cool to really listen to this as a fan. I get to do that. Maybe I get to do that more than you do, because I'm not in the. There's not. It's not work, right? Yeah. Um, this particular week, right? <laughs> Listening back was, it was such perfect foreshadowing for what actually you know we we drop we do the podcast on Saturday morning and then it's four days in between, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we sort of talked about rage consuming enemy podcasts and right. rage and i talked about the importance how, of reconnaissance listening to content that is outside of your normal wheelhouse but i was sort of like i don't really have to i don't really have to do that i kind of was just like i'm exempted from that and then i'm like innocently said but i am going to kind of read a book 
that I think is probably a, it's probably cool. My you know school community is reading, but like I'm gonna read it just so I understand you know what's going on. I did not so I did what I did not realize was that this book was gonna in, was gonna put me in a rage. Such a rage that I would I would read the whole thing in 24 hours. Yeah, and I was texting you the whole time. I was like, "You cannot believe what's going on in this book." I mean, the first big red flag on my end from what you sent me was like, "Oh, I just found a snippet from Hillary Clinton who's talking about the advocating for this book." It's like, "Oh, that is page about two. as a, about as a red flag as you could have." I, so here's page two, right? It is the I'm gonna just hold on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> 10, 11. They had 11, 12, 13. They are 15 testimonials in the first three pages of this book. Mm-hmm. They buried Hillary Clinton's at number 11. You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, read it out. In his unique voice, Johan Hari, that's the author, in, the, in his unique voice, Johan Hari tackles the profound dangers facing humanity from information technology and rings the alarm bell for what all of us must do to protect ourselves, our children, and our democracies. To pro- so to hear Hillary Clinton say to protect our democracy, I, that immediately, okay, so this book is about authoritarianism, it's about communism, something like that. It's like this is how we can repress the masses. So the title of the book is Stolen Focus. This is great. So I, this is so, I'm so, like I've been so looking forward to having this conversation. Also, I promised my wife I would do this before I started spewing my rage onto the school oh boy so that i could see how i sound it's just make sure you know just to get one rep of seeing how i sound complaining you know <laughs> sort of that's understandable but like this brings together so many things we've talked about in the last 24 episodes um it sort of to a head so the book is called stolen focus and it has it is about a um all of the things that um we would probably all agree our problems with technology and all that stuff with our kids. So this is like, this reminds me of software and that debate where you may disagree, but like you have somebody who basically puts out a list of grievances that we all agree on. Okay. Right. Um, You know, free speech is threatened. Oh, um, just, just, in the case of this book, it's like our kids are not getting flow states. They're being, um, you know, they're being distracted by design, by these, by these devices, by the social media, by the algorithms. Like no, no one disagrees with any of this. So he states the pro, he states a problem we all agree is a problem, mm-hmm. right? Then what happens is, and you know what? I think the Hillary Clinton testimonial really helped, really helped me. Um, frame how to read the book (laughs) right you guys remember i don't know how many episodes we talked about the book the real anthony fauci by robert f kennedy yeah yeah and i read the book in a very adversarial way because of the tucker carlson testimonial right and i remember thinking "Hmm, it's interesting that he would want us to know and that's just the way i thought at the time right now we're like say what you want about Tucker Carlson. This is like Hillary Clinton is one of the most corrupt human beings that's ever walked the face of this earth. Yep. And she has not only has she endorsed the book, but that that is 
the author chose or the publisher chose to, to include, include it. Yeah. Yes. As a, so, so this is so, content for like the the converted, the the other side of the fence, like their their choir, like preaching to the, to the choir. This is content. Like, yeah, right. So right there, you can tell immediately what kind of content this is. So I'm as does the reader. It's like, okay, well now you're telling me you want me to read this book in a very cynical, adversarial way. Like, why is she? You know, I mean, first of all, what did. <laughs> What did they have to offer? What do they have to offer Hillary Clinton for this testimonial, right? I it's mean, either if she even wrote it. I mean, it's, it's, somebody else probably wrote it. Understand, yeah. but whoever wrote it and whoever donation of fifty grand to the to the Clinton Foundation, and we get or, you a snippet. Yeah, or <laughs> maybe not that transactional. Or maybe this book is such a um, potent. Maybe this book will be such a potent. Uh, communicator of what she's interested in mm. getting across. Right, it's a weapon. That it is so much, it's so valuable that she will put her name on it. Right, so it's, so we start out with a list of grievances that we all agree on. You understand? And this is just kind of tenderizing the meat and priming us for. Hey, yes, tell us your solution. The the solution and the framing of the problem. Okay, so the next thing they do after they. Uh, you know, after they establish the, you know, the book, it's hard to argue the uh, the grievances, right? We all agree technology is stealing focus of our children. Okay, so that's three hundred pages in a nutshell, right? Sure. Okay, here's where things get. Um, now you guys got to understand. I don't care about books on a bookshelf, right? Why this is bo- why this is in my life is because the faculty of my children's school was assigned this book. And they spent the entire summer discussing it and started putting some actions in place to... Based you know, on this that, book's that, recommendations. Based on, it's, I don't know if it's based on the recommendations, but sort of based on their experience of reading the book and what they thought okay. you know, was right. Um, and we talked about already the actions, which I don't think are bad actions necessarily, right? But now it's important. It's why it's like important to read the book. It's like what uh, what is being Trojan horsed into the psyche of the people now that I'm pay- not only paying, but also trusting to right educate my kids in... This isn't a public school, right? This is a private school with a philosophy, mm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like now am I worried that this, what I'm about to talk about is going to infiltrate the philosophy, of, of, of your the school, right? Yeah, I mean, th- these are the people that are teaching your kids when you're not around. So, okay, so now what is what what is this? What is appeal to these people? Okay, I'm gonna now say now after the grievances that we all agreed upon, they introduced a term that I'd never heard before, but I guess is I'll accept as a is a thing. It's called surveillance capitalism, right? And this is, I guess, how. This is how people talk about the business models of the tech companies. Um, you know, like Facebook, Google, et cetera, right? Where okay. so it's talking about how they have to collect data because it's free. We are the we are the content. Is that is that? Also, oh, it's it's like their. I mean, their incentive, their incentive is to operate this way. As their incentive is to operate in this model, collect as, as much as possible. Collect the data as possible and sell it. That is the that is the way that that is the way that that business system creates prop. You know, right. does create profit, right? And essentially, that's how it's operated since the uh, induction of the internet. 
the ad-based internet. That's right. And once again, who's going to argue? No argument from me personally, right? This is, I'll say that concept is true. Here's where, here's where already is the first clue, right? This labeling, right? Well, it's like calling it the Patriot Act. It's, like, it's just lying well, about what, what the content is. Understand, but okay, but the labeling of this issue is surveillance capitalism is already a problem because they're, first of all, they're implying that it's some kind of capitalism and it's not. Yeah. Okay. So now, so I'm already worried that this is sort of like a Trojan horse for like a Marxist idea. And I was going to say, like, our, call it the, that Trojan horse of being like, oh, well, the problem is the, is the capitalism. No, it's not, it's not capitalism, that's the problem. It's surveillance capitalism. Okay, gotcha. That's opening the door to vilify capitalism. This sounds like communist right. propaganda. Just like it's, it's no different than our friend Sam Bankman-Fried with stakeholder capitalism, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you have to call something a version of capitalism, it's not capitalism. Right, capitalism is capitalism. Yes, without without caveat, right? No caveat capitalism, right? So, I don't know that we've ever seen a true capitalist free market system. It's like it's a, we live in such manicured times. It's Maybe true. a few times in history. But the thing you don't want to do, right, is say that well, there's a, to think that there are versions of capitalism that are called cap that are now that now you can you can vilify the concept of capitalism. Right. I mean, the the reality is socialism is government capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and, you know, it, it also the other real disgusting thing that happens with this cat with this framing is that um, you have taken you've completely taken the focus off of who is actually doing the surveillance. Like, why are they even in, the, in this business of surveillance is because it's because of the government. They're doing it on behalf of the government. Right. They're va- it's valuable to the government, and it's profitable because their main client, the government, can print money. Yeah, I mean, and the government <laughs> gets to set the rules, especially. So, and so, this idea of uh, surveillance capitalism makes it um, the company's fault, which liberals love. Mm. Right? And, until it's Actually, Elon, until frankly, Elon Musk buys it, and it's like, it, yeah, private honestly, companies can do whatever they want until it's not. A, Helpless people love that, right? It's true. Like the helpless people, people on the right love that too, right? They like blaming some entity they can't control, but that they think government will come in and fix, mm. right? They like it a little bit less than the people on the left. The left seem to love that, right? But they yeah. are, they're, it's, this is across the political spectrum. They love making it big business, you know, some business or some, you know, some, some thing they can't really control, but government can Okay, and that's definitely so. It's important to understand the problem that's being identified because that always is going to give you the solution, right? The solution will always be something that can be perceived as solving this problem, right? So framing the problem as a problem of capitalism, right, and a very pernicious, evil form of capitalism, as though like capitalism itself is capable of such evil, right? Right. Yeah. Is Tr- trying to lay- layer ethics onto a neutral concept, as if it's not the state itself. It's the natural that state of, of the, the world. Yeah, I'm saying the state, not oh. the natural state of the world, but the state, as in the Leviathan government state, ah. is what actually right. is finger the, pointing away from the actual drives the evil. Right, and it, it's the incentives of the state that drive these malicious incentives of the 
well, I'll just call them the companies or the the state subsidiaries, really. That well, all, op- all communism, operate, you know. All communist propaganda is based around that because they they can't focus on like yeah they want to communism is taking all of the power and giving it to the state. So when you're trying to sell it to people that I mean capitalism is just free market. I mean that's what a free that's what capitalism is at its core. It's just you know, I have something that you want and you have something I want. Let's figure out how to make some sort of a trade. And like communism is to, to in, in like top downing all of that. So for them to sell that, it all has to come down. They, they have to. It's like, oh yes, if you're pro- they can't. Whenever you're selling something to somebody who sees the state as the problem, you're gonna have to misdirect because I mean, how do you sell the state as the answer to somebody who sees the state as the problem? It's like, no, no, no. You're you're not thinking about it hard enough. It's a surveillance yeah. capitalism. It's so it's I'm like it's crony capitalism. It's uh, I'm concerned that nobody has. So what I get concerned about now is that in my community, this is an attack vector that is a viable attack vector. Yes, they don't have that, antibodies to protect against that this kind no of one's, attack. No, no one's necessarily argue, you know, arguing this, right? So this is like, what is my, I feel like I now have like a responsibility to sound the alarm, sound well, you, my alarm. You are the antibody in that system. So that, that alone... We haven't even gotten into what they're suggesting yet in the book, right? Or whether or not I have a cause right. for concern. All I have right now, so far, dear listener, right? All we have is a testimonial from Hillary Clinton <laughs> and this characterization of the problem as a form of capitalism, right? But that's there's some pretty bad smoke so far, guys, mm-hmm. right? So so now what what happens? What what do they what what, what what is the what, prescription? What, does it get worse? So I almost quit reading this book right here. It was like, well, I, I, you know, honestly, as a praxeological exercise in human action, I thought to myself, I'm wasting my time. My time is worth more than this book, right? But my rage made me continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, you know, I, this was minutes and hours after we had this discussion on last Saturday. <laughs> And I'm like texting business guy. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I hate, I hate it, I hate it. I'm it gonna kept stop. Escalating, yeah. I'm done. And then I kept, uh, yeah. So this is a 24 hour process where I just kept rage reading this book. Okay. So then the next thing they started this. So by the way, this is a social scientist. That you really, it's the world is in a really messed up place if they see. Any anything he talks about scientists. So scientists, throughout the book, scientists have researched X Y Z. Scientists have blah blah blah, right? And if you guys will listen to us at all, I mean, I, I certainly would never write a book that described what he what this author is describing as scientists. I would say, I would at least rigorously call them academics and not scientists. Mm. Okay. Um, but like this again, this is back to like: Do you derive truth from authority, or do you derive authority from truth? Let me. Yeah, it's it's scientism. It's people that worship right. scientists. Like like ultimately, you don't care about what the scientists. You care about the data set they produce. But the fact that he keeps bringing up the scientists to point out, oh yes, this came from scientists, is so because so yeah, he's talking this is to the where converted. The solution is like, well, they did a study in you know in the UK. If they you know whatever they they found how much better life could be if we took kid phones away from kids and stuff like that. Which, again, it's like taking things we all agree we should do and saying some scientists studied it and, mm-hmm. found, and actually trying to validate the fact that it can be studied and found some way of quantifying the benefit, right? Total horseshit. But ultimately, the first solution, so I'm gonna, there's three key solutions, I'll just say, just to you know, 
just not to drag this out too much, right? Right. The key solutions, number one, the first thing was a government ban on surveillance capitalism. Oh, good. Okay. So, so directives from the state top down, so a government ban. Okay. Yes. And by the way, these on solutions, a nebulous term, there's like these solutions get can... yeah they get progressively worse. By the way, so the first thing oh, is this, okay, wow. So you got to understand this one was just a another tippy toe in the water to validate the idea that it's a good solution. The government ban is a good solution. The use of government power is something we should all think is at our disposal as a free viable speech is tool. dangerous. I mean, nobody likes quote-unquote surveillance capitalism, right? Who the f- nobody, nobody likes this practice. Nobody wants it to continue. The reason it continue, but a government ban, the whole reason this thing even exists yeah. How do you enforce the government ban? It's because More of the government. The go- yeah. What I'm saying, they're doing it on behalf of the government. So the government's going to ban itself, basically. Yep. Right? <laughs> and that's why this separation is so dangerous and disgusting, right? Because this idea, oh, well, maybe the government should ban it. Yeah, right? No, it's like, no, dude. The government is, this is the government. <laughs> So uh, another now big red X hits the screen here, right? I have a testimonial from Hillary Clinton. I have this weird positioning of capital of something that's really fascist by definition. Yeah, a dramatic increase of state power as capitalism. And now I have a suggestion for the government to use that power to ban this right as as a big solution. And now once again I had to deal with quitting this book. <laughs> it's like, why? Why am I continuing? It's like, and then I realized I have a responsibility yep, to this is reconnaissance. my community, and I kept reading. I was like, maybe it's overblown. Maybe the real, right, you know, maybe the real answer, you know, he explains himself. And so then the next chapter, he does a more, more scientific studies. Oh, this is great, dude. This is really where things get amazing. Where um, it's it's a lot of what's stealing people's focus is actually worry about um, you know their financial situation, something oh, yeah. we can all agree on, sure. right? And so then the solution now he proposes two solutions that have been studied by scientists. Okay, one is universal basic income. Okay, and let me just get to the other so that we can then hit it. <laughs> the other one was. A four-day work week. Okay. Which is all version of government price control. The only thing he didn't mention was minimum wage, which, right? So, but all of, right? So basically now it's like, okay, so if the government can't ban these companies, which is itself, so we all know why the government can't ban it itself, right? Yeah. What if we just create, what if we just continued the problem that this is actually creating, which is money printing? I mean, like listening to the so so yeah, the book lays out real problems and then gives crazy answers. I mean, but it like leads you in a roundabout way to get there. Like, no, no, trust us. We are we have the scientist. The scientists have answered this, and they they tell us what the answer is, and the answer is more government control. Uh, it's like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's like it calls out a real problem. People recognize that inflation is becoming a real problem. The government printing of money is a problem. They're doing it too quickly, and that, like quicker than so. What's their what's their diagnosis? What's their prognosis? Like, what do we do? Inflation Reduction Act. Oh, let's print a fuck ton more money. It's like that is not really going to solve the problem that you are trying to solve in the title. So that that lines up well with this book. So still well, it's worse than that. Yeah, it's obviously worse than that because it's. I mean, it's going to make it worse. 
in so many more dimensions than we even understand. Like a government ban of a nebulous term like like surveillance capitalism. I mean, you, you could. I mean, how far can you go with that? That's the, like the whole, the whole idea is to give them just yeah a nebulous like law that they can then like lay down and enforce on however they want to. So I'd rather talk about. By the way, so this is it. Still gets worse. But let's let's just dig in since this is a, you know, we're Bitcoiners here, right? Maybe it's not obvious why UBI is makes the problem worse. I would hope it is. But or for what's the difference between a four day work week and UBI? They're both the same thing, right? It basically well, they're not quite the same thing. The four day work week is more like raising a minimum wage. It's more like basically saying it's that's more of a price control in the market. And saying that you know, you have to accept less productivity. You either have to, you either have to accept less productivity, right? I.e., a four-day work week for what you for the same pay, right? The uh, the other side of the spectrum would be a minimum wage increase to like twenty bucks an hour, which is now you're saying you actually can't employ somebody who is less productive than twenty dollars an hour. In that case, right? Mm-hmm. So, a four-day work week is a similar price control where you're saying however productive they are at their current rate, right? You have now have to accept 80% less productivity, right? Which is essentially going to if that actually were to happen, this is what you guys have got to understand. If that were ever to happen, what employers would do is they would fire everyone who is not 20% more productive. Than right, yeah. They would fire a fifth of their staff. They have a, they have a fifth less time to work, they're going to fire a fifth of their staff. So these Controls like the minimum wage or reducing the work week and all this stuff, you know, while scientists studied how much happier people were from working less, right? But you know what? They could have just read one book, right? Mises, human action really breaks it down pretty hard. And um, you don't, and is, so I'm going to take a little detour for a second, guys, okay? And recommend a book that you guys read. It's a little difficult and a little dense, but it's called Economic Science and the Austrian Method by Hans Hermann Hoppe. And if you don't want to read it, go listen to, literally it was just put out yesterday, Knut's Found Home on Robert Breedlove with the title Economic Science oh, and the Austrian Method. I saw that, yeah. I, that's in my queue to listen to. So let me just give you a preview of what this book talks about. And I feel like we're going to talk about this book on future podcasts. It is a, it's really, it's a basic question of, um, you know, like, you know, we talk about what is knowable. We talk about that a lot. Like, what is actually knowable? Um, Like, why is it that we have, there are self-evident concepts in economics, like equilibrium price comes when supply meets demand, right? And we kind of know that. We don't need to see 10,000 observations to validate that. That's literally a self-evident idea. Like that, you can you just know before the fact that it's true in your mind. You don't need any proof, Mm. right? There are certain concepts that we have related because we somehow understand human action in a way that we don't understand anything. There's something about the way we act that we do inherently understand as, and we can sort of say as truth is axiomatic truth. I don't want to get too deep into it. You guys should that that, that's just a preview of like so. Why are there things like that that we accept as truth? 
that we don't need you know tens of thousands. We don't need some stupid researcher to validate. In fact, it would be impossible for them to do if they wanted to. Mm, okay. Right. So just that. So that was a slight detour into what they ended up studying for the purpose of this book is how happy people would be if we just paid them more or made them work less. I mean, it's so retarded. Yeah, that's. I feel like and authoritarian. It's so beneath. It's so beneath the educational standard I demand from this school that uh, it's hard for me to contain my anger about it. I mean, fiat t- fiat ruins everything it touches, and even a school, a private school with high walls. I mean, eventually that that blackness is going to sl- sleep in there. But like I mean, looking at so looking at these things they're prescribing as this is how we solve the problem. So like yeah, universal basic income and. Uh, a four-day work week like these are cultural things like you can't enforce a cultural shift like that from a state solution it's like okay you want people to work a four-day work week okay then we need to build a culture like an economy and a culture where people can only work for four days and and get the same benefits and not have to work that extra day like you can't just mandate that people okay so you, you want you want to mandate that people can only work four days you, what are you mandating you're mandating that everybody go out and get a second job to make up that that gap in their budget it's like you you want to mandate a, yeah like you want to mandate a a twenty dollar minimum wage. What are you doing? Okay, yeah, like you said, you are mandating that anybody who is not valuable enough, their labor is not valuable enough to come up to twenty dollars. Is like you're you're saying that they are unhirable. So somebody that That's somebody exactly walks into right. a bar and wants to hey hey man let, give me a job let me let me scrub your tables and the bartender says sure I'll give you five bucks an hour to scrub tables. Um, it's like great, and he he goes, he scrubs the tables, he he makes his money, and he leaves. If he's not happy with that wage, he doesn't have to agree to it. But like, enter the government saying we mandate a twenty dollar minimum wage. That guy now he walks in and says, hey man, can I can I uh, scrub your tables? That that same shop owner, that bartender is like, I can't. He's not going to like twenty dollars an hour is. I need you to do more than twenty dollars than scrub tables twenty dollars an hour. For twenty dollars an hour, I can get somebody who can also um, like cook food and serve drinks at the bar. So yeah, it's. This is also, by the way, why we don't manufacture a single thing in this country. This is the same idea, same reason. Our government has basically said we are, our employees are worth more. <laughs> yes. And companies are like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. So, I, you know, I, in order to manufacture real shit, we need to, you know, we people are just as productive as they are. Seeing the state as a solution for the, for any kind, for really any kind of any kind of solution for any kind of problem is like looking at a uh, a pond that has like ripples going across the surface on waves and being you know what I can smooth out all of these waves and ripples with my hands like the very act of you trying to change what you're looking at is going to cause the very thing that you're trying to prevent you're gonna cause more ripples you're gonna cause more waves in your in your attempts to calm the water like you know how you know how you know what makes calm and clear water leave it the fuck alone well, we don't want calm and clear water, first of all. And this is, a, this is another point that I guess I'm going to just jump on. And I think it's just because I read this this morning in Principles of Economics. It blew my mind. It's a quote from Rothbard about why is it that it's impossible for government, for anyone to centrally plan an economy? And, um, you know, SAFE talks about how a lot of people think it's the incentives, right? If I'm not incentivized to work, why would I do it? And it's true that, that's, that those incentives are there. But the question really is, what if, the, what if, despite all those incentives, people still want to show up and be fully productive, right? Rothbard has this quote and says, what would these people actually have them do? Without a price signal, without knowing 
what is profitable, what is unprofitable, and what the market wants without a price signal, what, are these, what would these people actually direct them to do? And the answer is they don't know and they're flying blind. And so anytime you manipulate the price signals of an economy, you make it absolutely dysfunctional. And this is why governments can never, ever be involved ever be involved in an economy. They, like, they have to stay away not to smooth out, right, is so that to just to allow the fidelity of what people want to, com- to be communicated. Yeah, we, we've gone, like the species has become so accustomed to murky water that we don't even realize that, oh yeah, that, this can clear and you can like see miles through water. If only you were in, like, we didn't even understand the medium that we're in, the substrate we're in. Like, right. w- once we get the problems at it, like, man, like, we are dealing with ma- massive problems of the species right now. Like, once there's, like, it's kind of like the uh, idea, like the Tomer, the Tomer, uh, B- the Bitcoin is generational wealth. It's like getting to the, the 2144, like, the, the end state of getting there. Like, man, that's yep. going to be a heavy lift. But once we get there, we're like, the species and individuals, like us as individuals and on a species level are going to be capable of things that seem superhuman to us now. It, us, us peons living in this murky, yeah. muddy water. Yeah, so it's a disgrace to me. It's, a, it's not only a disgrace to um, the, the bar of critical thought that I expect from the school I send my kids to. It's a disgrace to me. No one's ever going to listen to this. It would be great if they did, but no one in this community will listen to this podcast. Maybe I'll actually clip it for these guys, but it's a disgrace to Rudolf Steiner, who really was the mo- one of the more. Rudolf Steiner is the um, he's like the progenitor of this school, and this school, the Waldorf schools, was created in Germany in the early 1900s as a rebellion to the Prussian model. Okay, and this person was like a Mises. You know, he was very in tune with what children need at certain stages of their life and he created it was originally for the uh, employees of the Waldorf Astoria cigarette company that was the first Waldorf school and it got traction all over the world because people don't like this model people yeah, don't Prus- like the Prussian model is fucking awful right. once so you if you don't it. want to train your kids to be good obedient soldiers and you actually want them to be in a thoughtful curriculum you know this was a this was an alternative and to see it so to see this group of people now who have the, – the school I send my kids to is the second oldest Waldorf school in the United States. And um, they, so just they've been doing this for the second longest, right? There's communities built around it. But to see the weakness, I want to say, that is implied by the concepts in this book, right, to show that, you know, this, isn't, this is not a Marxist group of people. They are better than that. But, but they're, they're not. Yeah, they're consuming Marxist content without knowing I'm it. Pro- I'm, I'm, by the fact that I have only seen forward progress on this and I haven't seen any real criticism, I'm just going to assume right now that these concepts have gotten traction. It's socialism and like that kind of con- communism has gotten so, so, so deeply entrenched in the educational community. And yeah, even yeah. like a school like. Like Waldorf has high, high walls, but I mean, it's like viewing a beautiful ancient cherry tree with like blooms, and you can see like the that part of it is like being rotted and like falling away because of like it's consuming shitty, terrible con- um, in, in inputs. But yeah, and the other thing before I get into the real haymaker, <laughs> the real, the one where we say, oh, now I know why Hillary Clinton enjoyed this book, or <laughs> right before I even get into that, I just want to also say that. 
The other way that this problem was, so they, pro, they framed the attention problem as a crisis. So that's another, like something I'm glad is a red flag. All these things, I'm really glad. I talk a lot about how psyoped I was before Bitcoin, but I'm so glad to be attuned to this stuff now, right? So mm. like anytime they frame something as a crisis and they not only framed it as a crisis, but they framed it a crisis akin to COVID, and climate and one of the things they say that the problem with stolen focus is that we're not able as a species to solve problems like climate right it's like that they're just validating uh, that uh. yeah they're validating that they that these crises exist yeah right they're they're desperately trying everything they can to remain inside this virtual bubble that they've built for themselves it's like the uh, the, the buddhist concept of unha unhappiness comes when your internal model of reality conflicts with external reality it's like um in my like i'm ru i'm running down the road and i trip and i skin my knee and boy am i upset about that do you know why because in my internal model of reality i didn't fall down. i wasn't expecting to fall down i never planned to fall down this is bullshit i didn't mean to fall down this sucks you sit there and you have a you have a busted knee, but ex you you cannot deny the external real reality of you fell down, you skinned your knee, like yeah. these kind of like and that's kind of a, it works in politics too. I mean, I, like for me, like I lived, I lived in this like bubble universe for for decades for for most of my life until I was I mean I this whole time I was um, exposed to things that could have woken me up, but I was just so dedicated to the cause of not seeing them that I I mean that I it, it took. Bitcoin to wake me up to new new realms of thinking. So like I mean these people that are the, the Waldorf school like these people have been in like the decision makers in any large institution like that they have they have spent decades getting to where they are and I mean and, the, and so therefore they've spent decades being reinforced that the decisions they've made inside of this fiat structure that they built themselves up in were the correct decisions and now we're at the breaking point. It's like now we're at the well, point where external reality is in, is inserting itself in a very painful way onto everybody. And for people yep. that are living in alternate universes, it's like, man, where is this pain coming from, man? This pain, like this, what is this? This is in. Well, they've been very good for a hundred years, for the most part. They've been very good at like actually resisting this. They've been they've been very good at actually really being not corrupted by fiat. I think things really have changed in the last three to five years. We're in the end stage now. I mean, yeah, like um, people are getting well, desperate. Hold, so the, the culture, you gotta understand, the culture of Waldorf schools has been actually not very corrupted by fiat for a long time. I think things changed in the last three years when they took, they, I think they changed when they took the PPP loans and they got you know, then they got a little tainted and then you're start like now that's that that weakness was an opening and a portal to even though you have very based people. I mean, you know, these like I would not project upon these people that they've been validated by fiat and in general. Right. They're actually very grounded in the original principles of, you know, whatever what Rudolf Steiner put out. I mean, it's just tons and tons of texts of thinking childhood development it's definitely something i'm impressed by the problem is it's like you're, you're you are you are correct in saying that the cracks of um the cracks of fiat corruption are now setting in very visibly but it's it's i don't know that it's been 40 years in the making it's more of like five years in the making of 
just the powerful impact of the money printing that happened in 2020 is so strong that it's even toppling these communities. Why did they take the PPP loans? Because they needed to stay open. They they would have this school would have gone yeah. okay. bankrupt. So right? Fiat, fiat yeah. end stage stuff. It's like the yeah. idea that like China. Whenever China goes to another country, they bring their check. They, they they hey, we want to work with you. And what do they bring? They bring their checkbooks. When America goes to another country and say, hey, we want to work with you. What what do we got to do? Oh, you gotta you gotta make a diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you got you gotta like start flying the trans flags and all all of these uh, like bullshit things. Like it's there's a reason the world is moving towards China and away from, and away from America, and like well, here's this, you know, the bottom line, no, you, you nailed it, though. You just nailed it. I'm, I, have to inter- I have to stop you for a second, though, because you did, You actually did nail it, right? Like, they were vulnerable. But the reason why they were vulnerable, so I think you take any group-based group of people who has been trying to resist and has been successfully resisting fiat, but doing so without Bitcoin, they are going to be vulnerable yeah. to a large money printing, Any right? Of course. End of story, right? And that's, I want to just nail that, I want to nail that distinction, right? It's like... This is the this is the price of fighting this war without Bitcoin, and that's so. My heart goes. I know so many. We've been talking about it since episode one. These people, right? All the people in our communities who are fighting this war without Bitcoin, right? But this stolen focus to me is an avatar. <laughs> this whole situation is an avatar for what happens to you and your cause in the face of money printing. When yeah. you have f- been fighting the battle without you, Bitcoin, you get down and you kiss that kiss the ring just one time. And so, and it's like f- f- fighting fighting the battle that they've been fighting, like a, a sound monetary fight w- without Bitcoin, is like fighting with your arms tied behind your back, with your legs bound. Like I mean, it's it's not fighting on an even playing field. I mean, you're fighting on their terms if you're if you're trying to resist them while you use their money. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, they, they existed and they had their morals for a century, however however long it was. But, I mean, apparently they did good enough. They got to a point where they had to take a government handout to, to stay open. And it's like, I mean, I used to work at Deloitte. It's like, you want to you have a government contract the go- it written into those contracts. You Okay, well, if, you want, if, you, if your company wants to have a government contract, you need to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion department. I'm sure that there were stringers that came along. Like, opening your doors to a PPP loan... It's like it's it's oh yeah. I mean, leaning down and kissing the ring is it, it wanna, leads one direction. You want to hear the final irony here? Yeah. Of what you just said, there's only been one. There has only been one person that's pressured the school to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion department, and that was me. <laughs> Ooh, that's brutal, man. So this is the context in which I now have to come and try to fight this battle. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like so you you are Paul on the right. on the road. I, I mean, hope the listeners understand like really what a gut punch it was for me to. And if you guys don't get it, like actually, and if you haven't listened to my my conversation with Sly Goomba, check it out. I really it's excellent conversation. I, I have so last time we recorded, I hadn't listened to it. Haven't listened to it since. That was a great, great, great conversation you guys had, man. Next, it's the closest I get to describing that gut punch, and this is a. It's a if I'm really talking about really what I'm feeling here with my school and my community, you have to under- also understand the context in which they view me is still as this sort of woke legend, huh. <laughs> you know? And it's not like I've been That's fascinating. Board. Like, I don't know the, the, you as that person. I only know you as, right. as fundamentals, so that's, that's really interesting. I've told you guys on the show before that there are more people in the world that know me as that than know me as a Bitcoiner. And it's not like I haven't spoken to the board since, really. 
You know, I see them at events sometimes, but nobody really knows what's going on with me. Man, you really are Paul on the road to Damascus. It's like you, God has now spoken to you and be like, hey, you need to stop prosecuting my, my, like, my people. And like, what do you, it's like, God has spoken to you. What are you going to do about it? And now you have made the decision like, fuck, man, I have to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, hopefully it's more like that than Killdozer. <laughs> well, I mean, well, hopefully it doesn't get to the point where they're wronging you to the point they were wronging uh, that what, Kevin something. Was that guy's name? But it's like, I mean, I mean, so this school has like these Bitcoiner centric views over like before Bitcoin. Why were you as a how did your kids end up in that school? That doesn't sound like a very good fit for that person you, you used to be. Well, you know, so people need to understand that this conversation about the dangers of technology. Right. That had that's something that had resonated me for with me for a very long time. Um. I've talked about it from a health perspective here before, and I think Bitcoin has actually helped me embrace the fact that you can't run away, you can't, you can't opt out entirely of tech. Nope, you can't. Like, the fact, Amish are going to get on board eventually. And the reason for it is Bitcoin. It's just because that's it's either a question of does Bitcoin fix this or does Bitcoin not fix this, right? And maybe I was missing this idea of that um, Alex Epstein talks about of mastery. He talks about it in the context of climate, right? But <clears throat> in terms of using power, we, we never talk about mastery. Like what, like because we have power, we actually learned how to make air conditioning. We learned how to make, yes. you know, structures that resist, you know, well, that's why climate deaths have gone practically to zero since the industrial revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Crazy. Um, but so in the context of mastery, the technology, while Edison electrifying, you know, the age of Edison and the Tesla and the electrification of the planet has caused Neolithic diseases. There's no, there's no arguing that that's true. But what we also, it will, it, it will also, it also gave birth to Bitcoin that will transform and decentralize medicine in a way where we'll learn again how to solve these problems. I believe that, and so that makes it worth embracing, right? But when I came to the Waldorf School years ago they were very much they were like you know they were a safe haven for people who didn't want like i was dealing with in my schools like people you like putting my kids on ipads for the, for the fuck of it uh, no okay. like no critical thought like it must be awesome and i tried to opt out in that system and got destroyed okay so it was just self-evidently a better school system that you say i want i want better for my kids so i'm going to go there it, it, yes. Okay. It, okay. Gotcha. I didn't realize. I mean, I, I, you know, I knew that I could kind of. Tr I knew this group of people had integrity, too, because they they annoyed me, and that's the first sign that it, somebody has integrity is that they annoy you. So I mean, <laughs> right? I, I've got two kids under under three, and it's like as th this problem of like the schooling problem. I in my brain, I have I've like this is future. This is future business cats problem because like. What will the playboard look like in 15, 16 years? Like, I mean, not 15 years, but 10 years when they're when we're really considering. Like, it's, like, it's going to even two years, three years. It's going to dramatically be different. So it's like I think it's what, a problem for most people listening. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a problem for everybody. Yeah. It's a problem everybody is going to have to. You want to have kids and continue propagating your gene, your genes through time. Like, you're going to have to deal with the problem of education at some point. It's like so. Hopefully, Waldorf gets their wraps their mind around Bitcoin sooner rather than later. It's just not, hey, look, look, most people are going to homeschool their kids. Yes. And I might have to homeschool my child as a result. You know, I might find that I have to homeschool, you know, my youngest child is in ninth grade. 
and I might have, I'm not done. But it is like, kind of like, you know, imagine a life before Bitcoin. It's like, how do I, how do I protect my savings, right? It'd be nice if there was, if you had help. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Like, it'd be nice if we had actual schools that were thoughtful that could share some of the burden, and then I can that my energy can go somewhere else. I feel like there's probably, I, I mean, I, I say probably, out there in the Bitcoin space, there's got to be people working on that Bitcoin homeschool problem right now. Oh, there it's definitely like, is. Yeah. So Daniel Prince, once bitten, he's not working on it, but his podcast is giving a voice to a lot of people who are big, big thinkers in homeschooling. Um, I definitely recommend, D Daniel Prince is an awesome dude. Def you know, met him, met him personally a few times, great dude. Uh, it's one of those guys who, like, the second you meet him and hang out with him for, like, a minute, you're like, oh, yeah, I want to hang out with this guy all the time. He's one of those dudes. Um, just exudes, like, charisma, I think. So his podcast is amazing, Once Bitten. And he's and I'm blabbering right now. This is what happens when I'm an hour and three minutes in. And I haven't even gotten to the haymaker yet. <laughs> but, like, there's a lot of good... Um, homeschooling people talking to Bitcoiners and I recommend you guys you know look I think it's an important thing to it's just as important as learning Austrian economics um, so you want to get to the real um, you there yeah yeah I'm here uh, I, was, I was gonna say like so I, I was the take is like the takeaway is like what are you how are you what are you gonna do like what's your steps going forward but yeah let's talk about the haymaker yeah so here's the, so everything was just an appetizer. And I, again, once again, I almost quit reading this book and then I, I would have missed the final chapter. Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm going to articulate this very well, so bear with me here, right? But I think this is very subtle and buried. And, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing clearly the reason somebody like Hillary Clinton <laughs> enjoyed the right. idea of this book. And, and it's also, so let me just say, so it, the, this is a microcosm. This final chapter is a microcosm of the book where they actually now state a new problem that everybody agrees with, create a false solution, talk about how scientists researched it, and they oh. come up with an ultimate fallacy. All in the final chapter, all right. All in the final chapter, okay. So they state, in, they state a new problem, which is, um, you guys are going to hear this immediately as I start talking about it, I, I'm hoping. It's that um, kids don't, you know, kids are not don't have the freedom they used to have, right? Their parents are they supervise them too much. Oh, okay, right. Which, uh, I, you know, this is sort of an age old conversation, right? But we definitely. I grew up. I was Gen X. I was left alone, right, from the age of five. Allowed. I was pretty much allowed on my own. <laughs> you were a latchkey you know, kid. I was a latchkey kid for sure. You know, uh, don't let anyone. Actually, I was told to go in through the back door and what. Nobody was supposed to see me coming in through the front door alone. Like, it was that kind of, like, you know, their parents were pretty good at, like, you know, minimizing the optics that you were alone and unsupervised. And I had friends vulnerable, that had... Really vulnerable to being kidnapped, frankly. That was what that was about. Right. But, like, the... So they're establishing this premise, though, that the age of helicopter parents, right, has made, you know, it's like that kids... A, are hypervigilant and can't focus because their parents are hypervigilant, right? Oh, and it's the parents' problem. It's the fault. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're seeing this, right? And then yeah. it's not only the parents' problem, it's that the parents care too much and have too much... Yeah, oh, yeah, it's not their fault. Senior they care too Oh, right. 
And the, the whole idea of now this solution is that we need to let kids roam free a little bit more, not a little bit more, but if you are if you pay attention to like the vaccine debates pre-COVID, right? In California, there is language literally in lawsuits on who owns who owns a child, and actually the government has made a case that they own your child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is you have to understand this context, right? When you're hearing this, because it looks like an innocent thing, like yeah, you know. I really would, like, I have this with my dog, you know? She really wants to get off the leash, and I should find ways to let her do that so she can roam free and be her full self, right? But this really is about giving up control of your kids. Well, As it's if, like, yeah, like, yeah. the the age-old adage, like, well, well the uh, the right, they have kids, and the left, they don't. They, the, the left doesn't have kids because they keep sterilizing and aborting theirs. But don't worry, they have yours to teach. And you want to hear the beautiful, the most beautiful coda on the whole thing? The author of the book does not have kids. Oh, that's well. I, every, mean, I, I guess that's kind. To write a book like this, th- that makes total sense, actually. In hind, right? How could he you, how could that, you have kids and write something like this? And he discloses it in the final chapter. The first, actually, the the pre- the preface of the book is called what is about. The author has oh this God. encounter with her, with his godson, that, you know, and it's just. This kind of thing we all experience where your kid is just not paying, you know, the kid will not spend time with you and it's just sitting there next to you with his face in a screen, right? Yeah. Something we could all relate to. But then in the end, he, he discloses that he doesn't actually have any children, right? All he has is his godchildren. <laughs> and it's just amazing that somebody like that, you know, it's, I mean, guys, if you have not, if it hasn't clicked with you, like, oh my God, now I understand why Hillary Clinton likes this book. Um, you know, DM me and let me know. Hillary and wants to wants to brainwash all of all of the children. Like the the only way they can propagate their ideas and their like what their solutions is to, yeah, is to teach them to people that don't have the rationality to reject them. Or come on the Thursday Zoom, which as when this gets released will be tonight. This is a reminder, everybody. Thursday Zoom is tonight. That's true. This, these, <laughs> these come out on Thursday. If you're listening on Thursday. If because I'm really, like, I'm really concerned. This is, uh, I'm really concerned about how I approach this with the school because this could be consequential. This is so bad and egregious, and they're going to think I'm calling them morons, and, which I am, right? Well, you got to do like, it tactfully. It's like, it's like this guy. It's like the, the, the author. He's like, he didn't call, he's calling the parents morons. He's like, you're not smart enough to teach your kids, so you need to let somebody else teach your kids who's qualified. But, but he, did, he didn't do it that way. He's like, oh, no, you, you care about your kids so much. Like, you, you need to have a similar approach. It's like, you care about these kids so much. Like, I, you should look at this content more carefully. Well, the magic of this podcast is that, you know, I go through life, and there aren't a lot of people I will actually listen to. This is something that I would actually listen to you guys, and I would, you know, if you guys reached out and let me had ideas and tell me how I sound, like is it already a lost battle? Because I don't, I can't even tell. I will probably try to assess how far gone I am when I listen to this episode, right? And how insane I sound. Are to you on the uh, the PTA? These people. No, and there's no PTA. So basically. The way what what there is is so the dean is the one who really um, championed this, and I really actually have a lot of respect for him. So so you guys know I have a lot of res- 
a little bit, I mean, I'm a concern from this book, but I generally have respect for his intellect and for these types of efforts. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think my strategy is to go to him first and say, I only want to talk to you about it, but I need you to hear all this, right? And then let me know like that you actually, I need to know that there's some critical, I need to know there's a critical approach to this book and that we're not just putting this out and letting people think that the school is behind all of this. Can't, can't have it. And if I'm satisfied with that, I think I'll let it go. If I'm not satisfied, I feel like I'm going to have to talk to the board. And just, you know, I, 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 that's how I feel. I don't, that's the governance structure, basically. The board holds, like, the dean accountable. Gotcha, okay. Day-to-day operate, you know, for, for fulfilling on the future of the school. But, like, this is something that, to me, threatens the existential future of the school, this type of thing. Well, starting if, if it was the dean who pushed the book originally, that sounds like he'd be the best place and to start. With I just it. I think that he I think we had a blind spot of his, and I think it's nothing more than that. I don't want anyone to think that this is some dumb guy. This is a guy I actually have a ton of intellectual respect for. Um, one of the few people who really pushes back hard on me in a way where I I allow it, you know. So this is. I mean, he's part, probably partly responsible for you getting getting Bitcoin. Then he was challenging you intellectually. He put you in a position to question things. Yeah, like the first time I had a big fight with him, um, I was carrying human. I was reading Human Action. And I carried it with me, and he remembered that I had had it on my person. And like six months later, he called me and wanted to ask me about Bitcoin. <laughs> so right. you know what I mean? Like you know, this is not like this is not an NPC. Right? Yeah, but this is somebody who, like me, was, had very inten- entrenched views on the left. Well, there, there are. It's who's it starting to figure out for somebody like him to get to his position by being an NPC. But like somebody yeah. like him in his position has very specific predators preying on his attention and and, and his distribution. So I mean, it, it makes has, sense that he may not be seeing all of the ghost fish at the bottom of the ocean. But he has a he has the concern of leading NPCs. I don't. Right, I don't yeah. have that concern, but he he has to. This I just want to point out that this book, what was a miss? Like I would have rather him summarize the book and discussed its conclusions than to recommend that people actually read it. Right? Do you see? Because it's like I'd rather tell you it's this one is better off like to tell you what like an amphetamine does <laughs> rather than ha- to say I recommend you guys do it. And, yeah. Right? right, it's like that, like you know, this thing—it's poison. It's an absolute poison pill that I don't think he really. And so this is—I want to reach out and try to make this clear. And you know, I don't know if I've demonstrated enough to you guys that I'm clear enough that I can communicate it clearly enough that it would be a successful conversation. But I'll—we'll see. And well, your you heart's know, in the right place, man. Yeah, this is tough. I, it's hard, for, like you know, these things. The problem is, if you don't address it, these things build up. Yes. And then they they end up blowing up in less kind of. They blow up in situations that look even worse. What's the? Uh, there's the quote from from the uh, Chernobyl miniseries. Every lie is a debit against the truth, and eventually. All of those lies will uh, like they're gonna come due. They're like the truth will come out, and it's no matter who you are, whether you're the you're the state or you're one little tiny person, like that you got to be cognizant of the lies you're telling because someday yes. the sun will shine. And this is so I have such a strong problem here 
I feel like it's just it has to be addressed at some level, even if, you know, whatever the consequences are, because the consequence of carrying the lie is going to be worse. I know this. I know something will happen like he's going to close the school over an escape prisoner like he did a couple of weeks ago. And instead of me containing myself about it, I'm going to blow, explode, (laughs) you know, and then really look look worse than I'm worried about looking now. Well, the Bitcoin world is like a, a world built on truth and it's like if it if it can be destroyed by the truth it deserves to be destroyed by the truth yeah and you know just to focus again it's it's not the content right and it's it's the fact that this was actually prescribed my only hope is that people read it under coercion and didn't care like you know what i mean they read it the way i would read a book i was forced to read it's my only my only hope right Passing through the corridor, I came upon an aging knight who leaned against the wall in gnarly armor. He was on his way to see the king. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson. He led me through the streets of Prussia talking as he tried to crush a bug that scurried underneath his boot heel. He said there was a place where we should go So he led me through the forest To the edge of a lagoon By which we wandered Till we reached a bubbly spring The night grew very quiet As we stood there He lifted up his visor And he turned to me And he began to sing He said I come from the land of darkness he said I come from the land of doom he said I come from the land of game edge His name was Rutherford the Brave And he was on a quest to save His people from the fate that lay before them Their clumsy end was perilously near The lizards would be saved, he said If they could be enlightened by the writings of the helping friend In all of Prussia, only one existed And Wilson had declared that any person who possessed it was a crook He said I come from the land of darkness He said I come from the land of doom He said I come from the land of game hedge From the land of the big baboon But I never ever going back there And I couldn't if I tried Cause I come from the land of lizards And the lizards they have died And the lizards they have died And the lizards they have died
it seem, possess the ancient secrets of eternal joy and never-ending splendor. The trick was to surrender to the flow. We walked along beneath the moon, he led us through the bush till soon. We saw above our eyes a raging river. He said we can swim it if we try. And saying this, the night dove in, forgetting that his suit of arms would surely weigh him down, and so he sunk. And as his body disappeared before me, I bowed my head in silence and remembered all the thoughts that he had thunk. He said, I come from the land of darkness. He said, I come from the land of doom. He said, I come from the land of game hedge. From the land of the big baboon. But I never am going back there. And I couldn't if I tried. 